2 Corinthians. We're going to introduce the book today by looking at the first 11 verses. So as Paul always does, as was the custom of that day, he identifies himself first thing. And there was a, a practical, some practical reasons for this. Obviously, when they would send these letters out, it wasn't as we get like in an A4 envelope or something and, and uh, you know, uh, that, that has the signature on the bottom. It would be a scroll, be written on a scroll. So that as you unwound the scroll, the first thing you'd want to be able to see is, well, who's writing this thing and who are they writing it to? And so Paul identifies himself uh, right off the bat to make sure that he knows, uh, so they, that they know who it is who's writing these things. Now, one of the things we're going to see as we go through uh, 2 Corinthians, in fact, basically what we're going to see today is, is kind of three main themes that go throughout all of 2 Corinthians. And the first thing we're going to see is that this is a suffering pastor writing to a suffering congregation. This guy, Paul, was one who knew firsthand what it was to go through hard times. And he's writing to a church that has gone through its own hard times. And I love the fact that Paul begins the letter by identifying himself in a humble but authoritative way. He, he wants to make sure that these guys know who he is. He wants to remind them. In fact, one of the main themes that we're going to see as we get on, go on in 2 Corinthians is Paul needing to defend his apostleship. He wants them to know that he is an apostle. He's a sent one. And he says specifically, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, notice, by the will of God. He wasn't self-appointed or man-appointed. He was God-appointed to this position. And he wants them to know this. He wants the people that are reading this letter, the Corinthian church, to understand God called him to do this. God sent him to Corinth to preach the gospel. And he includes, of course, here, he says, and Timothy, my brother. Um, some would say Timothy's a co-writer. I'd say it's more of just Timothy's there as he's writing, probably as a sounding board, as, as Paul's having a scribe write these things out. Maybe Tim, Timothy was the scribe. But he doesn't just mention Timothy. He mentions Timothy here. Later on uh, in, in chapter 1, he'll talk about uh, Silvanus. Uh, later on in chapter 7, he'll talk about Titus. And Paul was a man who understood his authority, his God-given authority, but he wasn't a man wanting to exalt himself. He was never a one-man show. He always served on a team. He always, was always part of a team to, to, to see needs be met. And I love this because Paul did have some serious authority. I mean, he, he had so much authority to bring the revelation of God that we'll see later on in chapter 12 that God allowed him to have this thornless flesh, this kind of messenger from Satan to buffet him, to keep him humble because he had such authority. God had used him to preach with such authority. Yet Paul had this humility about him. He didn't think it was all about him. He knew it was all about Jesus. And he would, he would delegate to people and he would use other people to bring uh, helps to even the Corinthian church. So, so humble was Paul that even though he planted the church, we know this from Acts chapter 18, we know this from 1 Corinthians as well, Paul is the one who went and first preached the gospel in Corinth and saw a church be planted, but as it's planted, he steps aside and gives the sort of responsibility of the church to Apollos, who we know from Scripture was an amazing speaker, an amazing teacher. And he just kind of says, that's cool. And, and the Corinthian church loved that guy. So that Paul could say, look, I planted, but Apollos watered. But the truth is, it's God who gave the increase. 
And this is what he's trying to get at. By even identifying himself as one who's, who's an apostle by the will of God, he's saying, listen, do you recognize Corinthian church? It's not me trying to puff out my chest and say, look at me, I'm the one with the authority. It's saying, God gave me to you, just like he gave Apollos and whoever else has come and ministered to you guys. So he comes with this humble authority. But also, this is a church that he wrote several letters to. We know for a fact he wrote at least three letters to the church at Corinth. We have one Corinthians, of course. We have two Corinthians. But he refers to another letter. He refers to a severe letter. But also, there's some speculation that there could have been even a fourth and possibly even a fifth letter. Some even think that one or two Corinthians is two of those letters pushed together. Now, there's all kinds of theories and all kinds of different opinions about that. It doesn't really matter. What does matter is the letters that we have are from the Apostle Paul. They are the authoritative Word of God. And this was a church that Paul had a relationship with, an ongoing, though complex, relationship with. So when he talks about writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in Achaia, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, by the way, Um, but he's referring to this area, Achaia, Corinth being the chief city of it, and so he's writing to all the believers in that area. And I love the fact that the way he says this, again, it shows this uh, this humble authority. He says, look, I'm an apostle by the will of God, but I recognize you're the church of God. You're not the church of the apostle Paul. You're the church of God. You belong to him. Now, it's interesting this relationship that Paul did have with uh, this church of Corinth. I mean, this church, we know, especially from 1 Corinthians, that this was a church plagued by carnality. I mean, they were doing things or allowing things to happen in their midst that that are embarrassing to talk about. Uh, This was a church that was, um, had a lot of division in it. People were saying, oh no, I'm of Paul, oh no, I'm of Apollos. He's, he's my favorite. No, Paul's my favorite. Oh, I'm better than all of you. I'm of Jesus, you know. And there was this kind of division among these people. This is a church that was, was struggling, though it was a church that loved the Lord. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, fell short of no gift. So there were people that were wanting to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. It was still a church that was full of issues. And Paul, being a good pastor, would deal with these issues, and it caused, well, conflict. It made there to be a lot of, uh, made a lot of complications for the relationship. And this is what's great about 2 Corinthians. You know, 1 Corinthians is an amazing letter as well, a bit depressing at times, but it's, it gives us so much good practical understanding about how the church should be as Paul's correcting the Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians really shows us something about the Apostle Paul's heart, his heart of, as a pastor. And, I, and I'd really encourage any of you people who feel called to ministry, you feel like God's calling you to serve others. You feel like you want to be in a, in, a, in a position where you're taking responsibility for other people. I would really encourage you to heed the heart of the Apostle Paul. Look at the way he talks about his, his relationship with the Corinthian church. Listen to his heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. should be on the screen. Listen to what it says. Paul says, I will, be very, glad, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. That's a, that's a difficult place to be in, isn't it? Can you imagine planting a church, serving a church, sending them the very best of the best of, the, of your team to continue with that church, and people still treat you like rubbish? 
But this was Paul's heart, not just in Corinth, everywhere. Listen to what he said in 1 Thessalonians. Paul talks about when he went to Thessalonica to preach the gospel. He said, the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Notice, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So that affectionately, he says later on in the same book, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but notice, also our own lives because you have become dear to us. This is how Paul is. He's a pastor who puts himself in harm's way. He's a pastor who lays down his life for the sake of God's people. This is what God calls us to be in leadership. Now, I put my hand up and say, I know I fall radically short of this still. But I gotta say, this, is, this, this inspires me. I think, yes, Lord, do this in me. Because I know the same Jesus that saved Paul saved me. Lord, raise up men like this in Servants Church. Raise up women who care for, for, the, for, for other ladies in this way in Servants Church. Do this work. Let us be a church that sends out these kinds of people. People who care like this. And it was amazing to me about this, about Paul Yes, the congregation in Corinth has gone through a lot. In fact, one of the things we'll see as we go through 2 Corinthians is that now they're having to battle a lot of false teachers as well. You know, they, they, they had a lot of false practice in 1 Corinthians we saw. They weren't, they weren't practicing their walk with God very well. Some things good, some things really bad, some things even worse. But they seem to have corrected some of those things. But here in 2 Corinthians, they're allowing false teachers to come in and say, well, you shouldn't even listen to Paul. He's not really an apostle. And this is the thing, especially, and I, and I am, I'm purposely right now highlighting those of you who may be called to leadership. In fact, really, this can apply to any of us who lead in any situation. That leading is not just about, here's the right information, or I'm in charge, do what I say. Leading has to be about, I put your needs above my feelings. It has to be that. And I've got to say, it's easier said than done. But it's got to be that. So he's a suffering pastor talking to a suffering congregation, and, he, and I love how he just jumps right into this, you might call it a doxology, a, a time of praise to God in verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, where you see here in these next seven, or the next five verses, from verses 3 to verse 7, these next five verses, you see this word comfort or consolation, same, work in the, same word in the Greek language. He uses this word for comfort ten times in five verses. Ten times. I mean, it starts to sound like Dr. Seuss when you read it out loud after a while. <laughs> ten times. Do you guys know who Dr. Seuss is? Okay, good, making sure. Some of you guys do, some of you don't. Some of you do, some of you don't. And this is really the, the second thing that we're going to see throughout 2 Corinthians, this reality of a God or the God of comfort through comforted believers. That what 2 Corinthians is about is showing how the God of all comfort comforts people through people who've received comforting. The comfort of God through comforted believers. We're going to see this all throughout 2 Corinthians. 
Let's talk about this a little bit here. Let's look at these verses a little bit deeper. Paul describes God here as, first and foremost, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because when, when Paul or Peter or anybody talks about God being the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, it's being clear, it's, it's making sure that we understand that who Jesus is reveals who God the Father is. That's why Jesus revealed Himself as the Son of God, so that you, what you see in me is what you can know of God. That's the point. So it's a way to identify the God we're talking about, not just God in some generic, unknowable sense, but the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in Jesus, what we know, what we heard from Jesus, what we know about Jesus, that's how we know about who God is. That's why this is saying this. But this God also, he calls him the Father of mercies, which basically means all mercy originates with God. But he also doesn't just call him the Father of mercies, but also, listen, the God of all comfort. Now, this is important because it's not just saying that God is in the business of doing comforting acts. It's saying that God, it's in the character of God to be comforting. It's part of how he is. He's just the, he is just a God who brings comfort. He's a comforting God. In fact, listen, so much, is this, is so much of the character of God, that a related Greek word is used to describe the Holy Spirit. Check this out. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Literally, in the Greek, it's comforter. Some of your versions might even say comforter. That he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is important because when he says another comforter, it's literally another of the same kind. So in other words, what you see about Jesus how Jesus comforted people. Literally, to comfort too, I should say, means to come alongside. It's this idea of, of, of calling someone to your side, saying, come on, we're going to walk together. We're going to do this thing together. That how Jesus did this is how the Spirit of God does this now with us. And there's something about the character of God that is, is meant to be shown, that God wants to show us in His comforting of us. Now, of course, to be comforted, what do you have to have first? Suffering. If everything's going well, if you're comfortable, you don't need to be comforted. Now, he goes on to say, uh, in, 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 uh, in verse 4, he says, that, uh, who comforts us in all our tribulations, notice, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort uh, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, not only is the comfort that we're talking about part of the character of God, it's within the character of God, but also it's within the purposes of God to use His people to show that comfort. So, so here's a reality. God desires, listen, God desires through His comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come alongside you and comfort you in your sufferings. No matter what your trials are, no matter what your sufferings are, God wants to come alongside you. It's God's heart to come alongside you and walk with you through those things. And He wants to do that so that as you, you experience the comfort of God, you're able to do that with other people. Now, let me just, before we move on with this, this point, let me just say this as well. There is a big difference between 
God being comforted by God and being comfortable. When we talk about the comfort of God, we're not talking about God making us feel better. It's bigger than that. It's not less than that, but it's way bigger than that. And so often this is what we have happening. People want to hear messages, make me feel better. Make me feel good about myself. But that's not the comfort of God. God isn't in the business of trying to make you feel better about yourself. God in His grace wants to make sure that we know how we should not feel good about ourselves. But instead what we do is we feel great about who God is. The comfort of God is what we see in Jesus. Jesus had no problem looking at somebody and saying, look, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He said that to his best friends, the disciples. He had no problem saying that. But he also had no problem uh, being there for them and saying to people, go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. He had no problem with John laying his head on his chest. He had no problem restoring Peter. Peter, do you love me? Then come on, feed my sheep. The comfort that God brings to us is to, is to come alongside us and not make us feel better about ourselves, but say, listen, let's get you, your eyes off yourself and let's walk the walk that I intend for you. Let me, let me help you live the way I've created and redeemed you to live. Come on, I'm going to do this with you. We've we got to make sure that we understand this. It's not about God up, up in the sky going, oh, those poor people, they're so sad. I want to make them feel better. Or, or, those, or God up there going, hey, hey, come on, get it right. What's wrong with you? It's not that either. It's God become man, came down to our level, came alongside in a very real way, tangible way, and said, come on, let's walk this walk together. This is why Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the helper, the comforter, and guess what? He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to walk with you. So here's how it works. As we experience that, as we walk with God, as we experience the comfort of God, God who forgives our sin, God who gives us strength to love other people, God who helps us when we're going through a hard time, you know what happens? We can then come alongside people in the power of the Spirit and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. Let's walk this together, me, you, and Jesus. This is what he does. Now, Jesus talks about the work of the Spirit in John chapter 7. He said, plainly, he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, the Comforter, whom we're talking about, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's talking about this experience, this relationship that, that, that believers are going to have with the Holy Spirit that they hadn't had before. But notice what he says about the work of the Spirit. He says you're going to believe, you're going to receive the Spirit, but notice what he says, out of your heart is going to flow rivers of living water. See, one of the problems that we have in, in our modern Western Christianity is that we are, because of our culture, this is, this is our cultural mindset, we think of ourselves as autonomous beings. It's all about me, the big I. It's just me. And so we think about everything in relation to how it affects me. That's what we do. And so we want to hear messages that tell us about how this should affect me. But the Scripture doesn't address the me's. It addresses the us. It says, look, you need to understand this corporately. 
And one of the things we have to understand about the work of the Spirit is the reason God has given us the Spirit is to help us walk the walk with each other. God doesn't want us to be cisterns that are filled with the, 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 the living water. He wants us to be hoses through whom the living water flows. That's what He wants us to be. And so often what happens, we come to church, we come to a meeting, uh, we, we come to a prayer group and we're going, I, I just need to be filled, I just need to be filled, I just need to be filled. How about we just need the tap to be turned on? No, I just need to flow. It just needs, God just needs to flow. This is why when you come to church and you're miserable and you think, you know what, uh, I can either put on a, an act and act like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, everything's fine or I can confess and say, you know, I need help, and people pray for you. Or when you just say, you know, I'm just going to think about somebody else, and you start helping somebody else that you start feeling better. It's not just a psychological thing that happens. As we begin to minister to other people, in the power of the Spirit, what happens? The Spirit of God flows through us. If you've got a dry, dirty hose, you know how you get that hose clean? You don't put it in a bucket full of water. You just turn on the water. And as the water flows out, the hose gets clean and everyone else gets wet. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. Paul is wanting to say, listen, he's wanting to say, look, the God of comfort is going to work through comforted believers. God's going to do this thing. Uh, and, and, and as we talk about some tough things, Corinthian church, Paul would say, you need to know this is God coming alongside you. So yeah, there might be suffering, there might be some chastening, but he's coming alongside you to say, there's comfort. God's doing a work. This is what God wants us to be for each other. This is why we do uh, church camp. Seriously. We're doing church camp to get a chance for us to get to know each other. Because let's be honest, it's, it's hard to do that with someone you just met. Or maybe you met, you know, 10 months ago, but you've never had a conversation with. That happens in church, doesn't it? But when you're there camping and your kids are screaming and, you know, you wake up with bedhead and you're, I can smell your breath from 10 feet away, all that's going down, you kind of just think, forget it, I've got to just be real because it's not going to get any more real than this. <laughs> and there's an opportunity to kind of say it's okay because, you know, at the end of the day, all that matters is who Jesus is and what he's doing in us. Now he goes on to say, look, he goes on to say in verse 5, he says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, Paul here specifically is talking about his own suffering. And one of the things that we're going to see that we need to understand, especially when it comes to this idea of comforting one another, we need to understand it is in the will of God that we suffer with Jesus. That is God's call on us. That doesn't mean that we pursue suffering. That's not the, the calling of our life is not to pursue suffering. There's nothing necessarily uh, redeeming about the pain that we feel, okay? But we are all called to suffer with Jesus. In other words, we're called to follow Jesus, knowing in following Jesus we're going to experience some of the same marginalization, persecution, and suffering that he experienced. That's Bible. That's Bible 101. If you... This is one of the reasons people have a hard time understanding their Bibles. They read their Bibles and they're waiting to see it. God's love letter to me. Tell me how much God thinks I'm wonderful. And all it says is like, okay, you, you suck, you need a Savior. You suck, you need a Savior. Oh, wait, this one says, oh, you're going to suffer when you find the Savior. And you're going, I don't understand the Bible. No, you understand it. It's just a hard to take, isn't it? And so the, the, the reality is, is that we need to recognize God is calling us to suffer. And, and 
when Paul says we, he's not just talking about them as apostles. He's saying, listen, this is all of us. And it's, we need to understand, too, it's not suffering in the same way Jesus suffered or even necessarily for the same purposes or with the same result. Jesus suffered on the cross, paying for our sin. You can't add to that ever. Praise God that we can't. It's sufficient. You can't, you can't add to perfection, man. Perfect sacrifice can't add to it. It's already done. It's finished. Amen? But we do suffer for the same reasons. Why did Jesus suffer? He was obedient to the Father. And being obedient to the Father, he suffered. If we're going to obey God, you know what's going to happen? We're going to suffer. This is going to happen. We don't pursue the suffering. We pursue obedience by the grace of God through faith in God. But we expect suffering. Now, it's interesting because Paul says, look, as we suffer, it's for your salvation and consolation. Because he says in verse 6, he says, Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Notice he says, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings as we also suffer, or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. In other words, Paul says, listen, if you see us enduring suffering, you know what's going to happen? You're going to realize, hey, if they can endure by the power of God, we can endure by the power of God. And if you see us being comforted while we're suffering, you're going to go, wow, if God is going to comfort them, he's going to comfort us. And that's why he says in verse 7, notice, listen, in verse 7 he says, And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation or the comfort. In other words, listen, in other words, you're, gonna, you're going to uh, experience uh, suffering for the same motives as Jesus because you're obedient. You're going to uh, find strength as the same source of Jesus through the Father, through the work of the Spirit. But also, listen, you can have the same expectation that Jesus had of comfort. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus is about to be beaten beyond recognition, hung on a cross, mocked, spit at, and in a great mystery, separated from fellowship with the Father for the first time ever, the only time ever in eternity. All that's going to happen to him, and he says, I could endure this. Why? For the joy set before me. The joy of being restored to the Father permanently and bringing many people with me. I can endure this. And Paul's basically saying, listen, when you see us suffering, and finding comfort. You can find endurance, and you can also, listen, you can also know that you're going to have that same comfort. Do you think Jesus is comforted now that he's in heaven? He was experiencing, he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have always experienced perfect bliss and joy and love and fellowship in a way that we can't even get our head around. And we've been invited into that through Christ. When Christ died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, that's what he's enjoying now. He's enjoying now that. And we are promised that same comfort. L listen to how Paul says it in, in the book of Romans. Check this out. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Now, 
You see, I put those parentheses in there, obviously not in your, in your Bibles. I put the parentheses there because those are more kind of literal translations of those phrases. Because in the Greek, it would read more like this, okay? It would read more like this. Where we are co-heirs with Christ as we co-suffer with Him, knowing that we will be co-glorified. So that Paul's writing it that way. That these all go together. Hey, if you're... <laughs> This is the way it works. These are all interconnected. If you're a co-heir, then you're going to be a co-sufferer. And if you're a co-sufferer, you're going to be a co, uh, uh, you're going to be one who's co-glorified. You're going to experience the same glory that God or that Christ is experiencing now with God. You're going to be enveloped in that experience. Guys, listen. The reason I'm I'm saying this is because Paul wants these people to know that his suffering is worth it. I suspect that some of the false teachers in Corinth were saying, you know what, you shouldn't really believe that Paul's an apostle. Paul's not going to be sent by God and then suffer that way. That's what Muslims say. Muslims say there's no way Jesus could have died. They think Jesus is a prophet. Of course, he's the prophet, but he's more than that. But they say, oh, he's, he's a prophet, second only to Muhammad, but there's no way he could have died because God would never let one of his prophets suffer. That's just the opposite message of Christianity. And it's just not, not at all what we see in the testimony of Scripture. No, God is calling. Paul said, look, his suffering was about benefiting the Corinthians, about benefiting all those who would hear the gospel. Don't you realize, guys, listen, the reason God calls us to be willing to suffer is because when we endure suffering for Jesus by the strength of Jesus. You know what it does? It gives credibility to the message of Jesus. See, people need to trust Jesus, not us. But they're not going to trust what we have to say unless they say, look, how does this change you? You know how it changes us? That we endure suffering. And we can do so with peace and with strength and even with joy because we're, we have a God who comforts us. And this is why you can trust this God. Now, so Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is about a suffering pastor to a suffering congregation. It's about the comfort of God through comforted believers. But also, listen, there's the last bit. It's about the trustworthiness of God in difficult situations. Now, notice how Paul says this. He gets real personal in verse 8. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now, notice how Paul describes what he went through. We don't know for sure what this is. It could be all that went down in Acts chapter 19 in, in Ephesus, it could be that's what he's referring to. But the truth is, we'll see later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul experienced serious suffering on a number of times. But here's what he says. Look, we don't want you to be ignorant. And he describes what he went through. He says that we suffered in such a way, let us notice, he says that we were burdened beyond measure. In other words, we were, had such a weight upon us, we thought I, we can't take another step. That's what it means to be burdened beyond measure. The camel's back was already broken. The straw had been piled on too high. He says, above strength, which means they recognized they couldn't get through this on their own. Even so, notice they said, so that we despaired even of life. They thought, this is it, we're dead. We're going to die. The reason I bring this out is because Paul's making it clear that his troubles were real and they were life-threatening. Paul's not talking about just like, you know, I was really 
having a hard time understanding how this theological position fits with this theological position. And I studied for hours this week, and it was very difficult. That's not the trouble he's talking about. He's talking about, I got the snot beat out of me twice this week. Um, you know, uh, the, the churches that I ministered to don't really think, think that, I, that they don't know if they can trust me. Some of my team, like John Mark, have bailed on me. You know, th- this is not an easy situation. I go and, and God uses me to do miracles. People start to worship me. I say, don't worship me. So they beat me up instead. This is my life as an apostle, Paul would say. And it's serious and it's difficult and it's life-threatening. And Paul's not holding back. He's saying, look, we, we don't want you to be ignorant of that trouble. Now, this is important because if the Apostle Paul can be honest about his sufferings, shouldn't we be honest about our sufferings? Guys, one of the ways that we get ripped off, one of the reasons we don't experience the comfort of God because we don't tell anybody about it. We don't cast our cares in, in our prayer closet, nor do we share with people when we come to church. But Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know this, is, this was heavy stuff. Paul was honest about his suffering. Notice he then says in verse 9, he says, Yes, we even had the sentence of death in ourselves. In other words, we thought this is it for sure, we're going to die. That we should, this is why God did it, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He even says this. He says, look, this is the God who delivered us from this death. Obviously, he's writing this letter. They didn't die. Who does deliver us and whom we trust will still deliver us. You notice that? Past, present, future. See, here's the deal with Paul in this situation. Paul's saying, listen, our troubles, were, they were real. They were life-threatening. But the truth was, our deliverance was never beyond God's ability. Ever been in a situation that was so serious you thought, this is it, this is the end. My life as I've known it is over. I've been in that place. Paul said, this is it. It's done. No more ministry. I'm done. I'm going to die. So this seems to be the end. Well, God's in the resurrection business. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can raise you from the dead. So guess what? Even if it kills you, it ain't the end. (laughs) God's going to get you through it. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we think, well, it would be better if I died. But how about the things that that it seems like are dying in your life? What about, listen, what about a marriage that you think it's dead? It's, It's dead. We despair of life. Forget it. We give up. It's dead. Well, is not God in the resurrection business? What about a faith that you think is, not, is dead? It's not there anymore. I just can't believe. Is God not in the resurrection business? Guys, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I, I knew we were in a serious place. I don't want to downplay how serious it was. But the truth is, God did deliver us. He's, he's going to still deliver us. And he will always deliver us in the future. This is exactly what the psalmist said when the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This is what God does. You can trust Him in your serious difficulties. And notice also what He says. We'll close with this, verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf through the gift granted to us through many. Now here's what Paul's basically saying. He's saying that his confidence was in the God who answers prayer. 
This is important. We don't want to put our confidence in our prayers, just like we don't want to put our faith in our faith. Do you guys know what I mean by this? This is really important because this can happen. We can, we can especially if you came from a tradition or, or a church culture like I did that puts a big emphasis on prayer, a big emphasis on faith, it's easy for us to slip in this thing where our confidence is, I've, I've prayed. Because I've prayed, now something's going to happen. Because I believe, now something's going to happen. And it's easy to slip into this, I'm confident in my prayers, or I'm confident in my faith. Paul's confidence was in the God who answers prayer. This is a really important distinction. This is not an excuse not to pray. It's just the opposite. It's the motivation to pray. It's not an excuse not to ask for prayer. It's the motivation to ask for people for prayer because you believe in a God who hears and answers prayer. That's why Paul says, you helping together, he expected that God was going to sovereignly use their prayers to deliver them, and that's exactly what God did. And he even tells them why he thinks God's going to do this. God's going to help deliver him or deliver that party through their prayers because then they could give thanks to God for the answer to prayer, which is why it's so important for us. This is why at our prayer meetings, especially at the Friday morning prayer meeting, we keep track of what we're praying about because we want to come back and say, look there, God answered that. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is why God wants us to be about the business of prayer. This is why God sometimes allows us to be in difficult circumstances that we would pray because then we pray and what happens? God answers and we go, God, thank you. You rock. You're real. You do what you say. That's why it's so stupid when we're so slow to pray. It's so dumb that we're so slow to pray. The Bible says this. Jesus said this. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. And Jesus isn't saying that you can get whatever you want if you just agree for it. What he's saying is anything that I've said I want for you, anything that you ask that's in my will, it's yours. So ask. So, so ask. You can trust the God who delivers. Do you remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are in Babylon, told they're going to have to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue and worship? Do you guys remember that story from the Old Testament? And what do they say? They say, look, either bow down or we're chucking you to the fiery furnace. They say, you know what? We are not going to bow down to your God. And our God is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your God. So go ahead. Even if it means we die, that's fine. What happened? They got chucked in the furnace. Seven times hotter than any furnace that furnace had been heated up. What happened to them? Their ropes burned off. That's it. Their ropes burned off. They didn't even smell like smoke, the scripture says. Why? Because God says, look, I'm going to let you go through difficult circumstances so that you can pray together and you can see me answer. I want to show myself to you by answering prayer. Which is why the smartest thing we can do is say, all right, God, show us what you want us to pray for. Because we want you more than we want the stuff. That's what we're going to pray. See, what we're going to see as we go through 2 Corinthians is we're going to see 
a, a suffering pastor's heart to a congregation that's gone through a lot. We're going to see and learn what it means to bring the comfort of God as comforted believers. And we're going to see the trustworthiness of God through difficult circumstances. And my prayer for us, guys, is that as we learn this stuff, we put it in the practice, that we get on our face before God and we begin to pray. And we see God doing this. Wouldn't it be awesome? Seriously, wouldn't it be awesome if we had to have another meeting so we could just talk about all the answered prayer? Wouldn't it be great if the whole coffee time was like, Everyone testifying to each other about, hey, God, man, God's been so faithful. I, I wanted to quit. He kept me all week long. I wanted to give up. He kept me. God's been so faithful. He answered that prayer. Hey, remember we prayed for that thing? God provided that thing. Hey, we've been praying for my brother. He actually brought up Jesus again. He brought it up. I got to talk to him. Can you imagine if that's what it would be like? Because that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what God actually wants to see happen. That's why we have difficult circumstances. That's why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. 